0: By rolling, I mean the, you know, the computer is... That's right. As we hit record. Power up the okay. device.
1: HPPodcraft.com
2: Horrible beyond conception was the change which had taken place in my best friend, Crawford Tillinghast. I had not seen him since that day two months and a half before when he had told me toward what goal his physical and metaphysical researches were leading when he had answered my awed and almost frightened remonstrances by driving me from his laboratory and his house in a burst of fanatical rage. I had known that he now remained mostly shut in the attic laboratory with that accursed electrical machine, eating little and excluding even the servants, but I had not thought that a brief period of ten weeks could so alter and disfigure any human creature. It is not pleasant to see a stout man suddenly grown thin, and it is even worse when the baggy skin becomes yellowed or grayed, the eyes sunken, circled, and uncannily glowing, the forehead veined and corrugated, and the hands tremulous and twitching. But such was the aspect of Crawford Tillinghast on the night his half-coherent message brought me to his door after my weeks of exile. Such the specter that trembled as it admitted me, candle in hand, and glanced furtively over its shoulder as if fearful of unseen things in the ancient lonely house set back from Benevolent Street.
0: It's just a block down from Fascination Street.
1: (laughs) The street may be benevolent, but I'm not sure if Crawford Tillinghast's intentions are.
0: Oh, they are not, sir. Uh, This is the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. That's right. We're here at HPPodcraft.com. My name is
1: Chad Fife. And I'm
0: Chris Lackey. We're co-hosts of this show, and that reader uh,
1: was Bruce Green. Bruce Green, who is a wonderful actor and good friend of ours. He will actually be uh, exhibiting his talents in a short film slash television pilot that chris and i put together oh yes with our friend david robertson called the ward I'd remind our listeners again that that's showing on october 23rd at the vampire film <laughs> festival in uh in new orleans louisiana but before we talk too much more about that let's get on to the story today we're talking about
0: from beyond from beyond
1: which ah, i love this story
0: i love it absolutely i, I absolutely love it and, you know i'm not gonna pretend right off the bat try and be impartial no uh Chad, before we were getting started, he was saying to me, we should just read this whole bit damn story because every <laughs> single bit is awesome.
1: I love it. You know, I, some people have complained about this story's melodrama, but it works on me. Yeah. I, I like it.
0: Yeah, I'm hypnotized.
1: I, uh, it's been a while since I read it, though. I picked it up again. The, the first thing that struck me because it's in the first sentence is that name Crawford Tillinghast. <laughs> It sounds like an old Republican senator, you know, like Saxby Chambliss or something. The chair recognizes Crawford Tillinghast. Yeah, some kind of machine he'd like to turn on in the Senate chamber. I say, let's give it a shot. Oh, my pineal glands. <laughs> Suddenly a fire. I, I love in that, that first line as well when he says, horrible beyond
0: conception. You can't conceive this thing. Well, the horribleness you can't conceive. Yeah. But anyway, so what's going on here? This guy, our narrator, he knows uh, Crawford Tillinghast. Mm -hmm. He he never names himself. So the narrator is is again uh, our narrator. It's just the narrator, and he used to work with Crawford Tillinghast (laughs) or was a colleague of his. And Mm -hmm. then um, Crawford was working on this project, and you know, just said, you know, get out of here. You know, I don't want none of your stuff. Get just go. Well, Crawford
1: told him what he was working on. And oh, right, yeah. the yes. protagonist didn't like, he didn't it. like it. He didn't like it. He thinks it was a bad idea. So now
2: you shouldn't be doing
1: that. In fact, uh, our protagonist has an opinion about Crawford studying science
0: at all. Yeah, he thinks it was a mistake.
2: <laughs> he says <laughs> that Crawford Tillinghast should ever have studied science and philosophy was a mistake. These things should be left to the frigid and impersonal investigator, for they offer two equally tragic alternatives to the man of feeling and action. Despair if he fail in his quest, and terrors unutterable and unimaginable if he succeed.
0: <laughs> yeah, those oh, are the two options. It. Yeah, because as
2: we all know, Newton lost his mind
0: <laughs> when he figured out gravity. Sure,
1: yeah, exactly. Well, actually, probably, I think he did lose his mind a little in the final years of his um, of his life. I'm not sure, but I think it's because he had mercury poisoning. Nothing. Oh, well, that
0: happens. But this is the Frankenstein story. Ooh, exactly. Well, sure, sure. I mean. And typical Lovecraft stuff. The more you know, the the less you're going to be able to deal with it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, scientific exploration is opening up, uh, you know, horrible vistas, if you will.
1: Yeah, if you're successful. If you're successful. And it, but if you're an emotional person, as Crawford is, chances are good that you're going to fail as a scientist. That holds true even today. I mean, yeah. m- the rule is that most of the theories that you put out there will get disproven you know, on the, on the quest towards finding a, a better theory or a better Absolutely. conception of the world around you. So for somebody who's incredibly emotional and takes things personally, you probably should have gone into the arts, not science. Right. Uh, ten weeks earlier, when he booted him, Crawford kind of lined out what it was that he wanted to do.
2: What do we know, he had said, of the world and the universe about us? Our means of receiving impressions are absurdly few and our notions of surrounding objects infinitely narrow we see things only as we are constructed to see them and can gain no idea of their absolute nature. With five feeble senses, we pretend to comprehend the boundlessly complex cosmos, yet other beings with a wider, stronger, or different range of senses might not only see very differently the things we see, but might see and study whole worlds of matter, energy, and life which lie close at hand, yet can never be detected with the senses we have. I have always believed that such strange, inaccessible worlds exist at our very elbows now I believe I have found a way to break down the barriers.
1: Basically Crawford's got a, he's got some kind of machine and it generates certain waves which act on sense organs we have that that are dormant or atrophied. Yeah. Uh, And conceptually this is just great. it, It affirms all of the feelings that we have throughout our lives that spooky feelings that there's oh, things sure, in the environment sure. well, coexisting right there with them.
0: well you know like uh, when a cat or a dog you know reacts or starts barking you don't mm-hmm. understand why you uh it's easy for a person to think hey they've got some kind of hyper sense that they're right. aware of something that that i'm not or the I... hair raises
1: on the back of your neck inexplicably
0: right or you just
1: feel that there's definitely something around the corner of your house or even in the room with you at night
0: very, i mean very common and yeah and
1: um, but a cool way to approach
0: it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's going, he's taking the what was typically the realm of the supernatural and bringing it into the realm of science and mm-hmm. saying that all those things aren't ghosts and goblins and, and they're just creatures that are shifted out of our plane of. of of awareness, right? Which is, you know, pretty cool.
1: Yeah. So our protagonist got booted when he said he didn't think that was cool. And, uh, um, and he's been finding out from Crawford's butler how things have been going over the last few yeah, weeks. Yeah. He, been... That's how he knew that he'd been up in the attic lab going nuts and, and not talking to anybody. And he gets a shaky note from Crawford, mm-hmm. it looks bad, and it says, why, why don't you come by? I got some things to show you. And, uh, when was, that up, a, was that a Crawford <clears throat> That was my person. Yeah. Uh, it uh, sounded uh, a little like a Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> did. I, come on by and have a look. I got a, a dreamy machine. It's purpley and it make you see protoplasms. He shows up. Yes. And he's a scientist as well. Yeah, oh yeah. we assume. Mm-hmm. And even though, you know, he's a little prudish about this kind of research, kind of can't help it get caught up in the well,
0: excitement. Well, you know, hey, it's, it's some kind of discovery. Something's happened, and he wants to, you know, he wants to know. Yeah. So when he gets to the house, first thing he notices, all lights are off. That's right. Power's out. And it seems like Crawford's done this on purpose. He says, uh,
2: It would be too much. I would not dare. He continued to mutter. I especially noted his new habit of muttering, for it was not like him to talk to himself. We entered the laboratory in the attic and I observed that detestable electrical machine glowing with a sickly, sinister violet luminosity. Such a cool description of the machine.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a glowing machine. I, I like that Lovecraft doesn't
1: really write in black and white, you know. I mean, he's really fond of colors, as oh, right. we'll see throughout his, yeah, his work yeah, absolutely. going
0: on. Uh, I mean, I think he even says in this story that, the, the well, you know, coming up here... Uh, You're going to see colors that you've never seen before That's
2: right The luminosity increased, waned again Then assumed a pale outre color or blend of colors Which I could neither place nor describe Tillinghast had been watching me And noted my puzzled expression Do you know what that is? He whispered That is ultraviolet He chuckled oddly at my surprise You thought ultraviolet was invisible And so it is but you can see that, and many other invisible things now.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. the so protagonist is like, "Wait a minute, you brought me up here to look at a tanning bed.
0: <laughs> no, 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 uh, no, no, not at all. This is uh, this machine is working. He's
1: yeah, he's not wasting any time. No,
0: he's on and boom, you're gonna be seeing some stuff. Get ready.
1: Okay. I appreciate that Lovecraft doesn't waste any time with us either.
0: Yeah, no, he's, man, this story is, it's not very long. It's only a few pages yeah. and it's crammed full of awesome stuff. <laughs> yeah.
1: He says, uh, come up here, I got the machine on and it's, it's already kind of showing unseeable things to the protagonist, mm-hmm. like UV rays. So Crawford sits directly across from him, he mm-hmm. blows out the candle yeah. they've been using to find their way and he stares into his eyes Uh huh. and he explains that, that starting with the ears, he will be able to perceive new things. Yeah. And he says that there's a sense organ in his brain that actually is the most important sense organ, that
0: this thing is going to trip up. The pineal gland. That's right. That's right. Gland. Well, it was something that Joshi wrote. He said that, uh, that what his reference to the pineal gland is a bit of a joke. Lovecraft made a joke. Oh, really? Because Rene Descartes had proposed that the gland was the point of mediation between the material body and the spiritual uh, soul. Right, I,
1: I think that um, you know scientists when they were dissecting brains and, and looking at this thing, they couldn't figure out what it did. Yeah, it's just this vestigial organ until fairly recently, actually. I mean, now we know that it, it controls melatonin, which helps regulate sleep cycles. Yep. So it's got a purpose. It does. Yeah. Um, but for actually, it even um, is an inhibitor of sexual maturity in children. More melatonin is produced by the pineal gland, and then it begins to pull back when you go through puberty. Hmm. I, I thought actually i was thinking a little about stuart gordon's from beyond movie which has a lot of overt sexuality in it all oh, right yeah, and yeah. uh and i thought well all right you know maybe, yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe like um the the science of the brain still isn't all the way there though so there are still pieces of the brain that we right. don't understand and, and even the pineal gland they're speculating on a lot of things now they, they still don't know
0: exactly what yeah it, well i mean lovecraft so. also wrote about it so you know so we've got some scientific yeah right exactly
1: so there's there's what they're saying about melatonin now but they're really just building on the science that lovecraft laid out yes exactly in this this document in this
0: document (laughs) so anyhow the the protagonist
1: uh, the machine starts his pineal gland gets all charged up and he starts tripping out Uh, it says uh,
2: i looked about the immense attic room with the sloping south wall dimly lit by rays which the everyday eye cannot see the far corners were all shadows and the whole place took on a hazy unreality which obscured its nature and invited the imagination to symbolism and phantasm. During the interval that Tillinghast was silent, I fancied myself in some vast and incredible temple of long-dead gods, some vague edifice of innumerable black stone columns, reaching up from a floor of damp slabs to a cloudy height beyond the range of my vision. The picture was very vivid for a while, but gradually gave way to a more horrible conception, that of utter absolute solitude in infinite sightless soundless space there seemed to be a void and nothing more and i felt a childish fear which prompted me to draw from my hip pocket the revolver i always carried after dark since the night i was held up in east providence
0: love that little detail
2: yeah Obviously,
0: Lovecraft wanted this guy to have a
2: gun. Yeah. And uh, right. he's like, well, why would the guy
0: carry a gun? Maybe he got held up. And East Providence is not a good part of town. Really? I'm, I'm
1: guessing. Well, you know what? He got I, held up there. That's you know, how... Sure. And in my head, I immediately filled in this detail. The people that held him up were those three hoodlums who, got, who tried to rob the terrible old man. <laughs> I didn't think and that. they got their just desserts. So I, I made that connection. I think I, that's a perfect connection. I would love to treat all of these smaller stories by H.P. Lovecraft. You know, sometimes they do get turned into movies, but they're so slight of stories that they have to add a lot of things. Oh, right, but yeah. I would love to do a treatment that was like a Shortcuts, that Altman movie, where they took a bunch of Raymond Carver stories oh, right, yeah, yeah. and they just and made them into together. little vignettes but yeah, tied yeah. the people together.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an idea.
1: I do, it is an idea.
0: It is an idea. It's a very good one, actually. Yeah. Right. I
1: just let Lovecraft do the work
0: and then I come up with a good idea. Yeah, great. You know, how right, to yeah, package yeah. it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> then from the farthermost regions of remoteness, the sound softly glided into existence. It was infinitely faint, subtly vibrant, and unmistakably musical, but held a quality of surpassing wildness which made its impact feel like a delicate torture of my whole body. I felt sensations like those one feels when accidentally scratching ground glass. Simultaneously, there developed something like a cold draft which apparently swept past me from the direction of the distant sound. As I waited breathlessly, I perceived that both sound and wind were increasing, the effect being to give me an odd notion of myself as tied to a pair of rails in the path of a gigantic approaching locomotive. I began to speak to Tillinghast, and as I did so, all the unusual impressions abruptly vanished. It's so
0: uh, evocative and visceral, like all the you yeah. know, it's like he's really when Lovecraft's writing this, he's really thinking about all the senses. He's thinking about what he's feeling, he's he what he's hearing, it's not just what he's what he's seen. Yeah. It's It's, really really cool. Yeah, it's really, this is some great
1: stuff. And our protagonist wants to tell Crawford all of these things as well. And when he whispers, (laughs) Crawford says, uh, you know, you might want to be quiet.
2: (laughs) Uh, Don't move, he cautioned. For in these rays we are able to be seen as well as to see. That's
0: creepy, man. Yeah, Yeah, well, what happens, and he goes on to explain that, uh, well, you know, the servants didn't know about that. Yeah,
1: they didn't just, you know, go away three days ago. <laughs> he says that that woman, that housekeeper I've had working for me, you know, she turned on the lights downstairs while they had the machine on, uh-huh. and the wires picked up uh, what he calls sympathetic vibrations. And after that, her empty he- heaps of clothes were just lying. Well, there's the a house. scream. Yeah, there's a screamed, Yeah,
0: she turned on the light. She screamed. Look <laughs> down, empty clothes. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Dangerous stuff. So
2: that's why uh, he doesn't turn on the electricity. Right. Yeah. The combined shock of the revelation and of the abrupt command gave me a kind of paralysis, and in my terror, my mind again opened to the impressions coming from what Tillinghast called beyond. I was now in a vortex of sound and motion with confused pictures before my eyes. I saw the blurred outlines of the room, but from some point in space, there seemed to be pouring a seething column of unrecognizable shapes or clouds. Penetrating the solid roof at a point ahead and to the right of me.
1: And I'm imagining all kinds of HR Geiger sort of. Oh yeah, yeah.
2: This
0: room. is I mean, this is you know, which is cool about a, a written uh, story. It, it like really lets your mind fill in you know all the stuff and yeah. and anything that you're gonna come up with in your head is gonna be really creepy compared to you know seeing it in a movie. Which is why my
1: shortcuts movie is not gonna work <laughs> at all because it's much cooler, folks, to just read it. Yeah. Everything goes crazy in the room, and, and he himself feels as if he's going to melt apart. He he describes the scene that he's that he's watching as if it's projected in a cinema,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, like it's a mess of strange sights just kind of thrown on reality, the reality of the right.
0: room. You know? Right, He mentions that it's got a kind of a, a kaleidoscopic kind yeah. of uh, you know trippy. It really feels like one of those you know 70s uh, drug movie things. Yeah, so It's totally. like wow, psychedelic kind of. Right. But well done. But well uh, done. But much cooler and scarier.
1: And I, I like it anytime. Since we're speaking about movies, uh, I know that tr- the traditional belief is that Lovecraft really didn't like cinema.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, not all cinema. Right. I read, there I read were things that he liked. Yeah, the, Joshi said that he did like a few things, but he thought uh, I think Frankenstein, I think Frankenstein was really silly. Yeah, Frankenstein and dragon. One of the. Two. I, but
1: he uh, he does use some imagery sometimes of the cinema and the silver screen in oh, right. some of his stories, mm-hmm. uh, as evidenced here. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's, it's something that he's familiar with and he's thinking about. But speaking of those, uh, those things that were coming down through the ceiling and the walls,
2: he says, Foremost among the living objects were great, inky, jellyish monstrosities, which flabbily quivered in harmony with the vibrations from the machine. They were present in loathsome profusion, and I saw to my horror that they overlapped, that they were semi-fluid and capable of passing through one another and through what we know as solids. These things were never still, but seemed ever floating about with some malignant purpose. Sometimes they appeared to devour one another, the attacker launching itself at its victim, and instantaneously obliterating the latter from sight. Shudderingly, I felt that I knew what had obliterated the unfortunate servants, and could not exclude the things from my mind as I strove to observe the other properties of the newly visible world that lies unseen around us.
1: I, that's horrifying. Especially when he describes one of them going after the other. Yeah, just, I, very,
0: I totally picture it in my head. Like, this, this, this jellyfish, like they're all just kind of floating around. All of a sudden one goes, just gets it. Just sucks and, it right up. Yeah, and, and
1: uh, when Crawford addresses
2: these things, he what he says is so laced with menace. He says, <laughs> You see them? You see them? You see the things that float and flop about you and through you every moment of your life? You see the creatures that form what men call the pure air and the blue sky?
0: Oh. Yeah. yeah. All these things that you think are beautiful and benevolent are just seething with these evil, yeah. disgusting, horrible creatures. This is
1: why when they list the Transcendentalists, it's never Thoreau, Emerson, and Lovecraft. Because <laughs> even nature is you know, seething with menace in his fiction. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but but the next thing that he says, he's like, "Oh, you think that? Oh, oh, you think that stuff is what killed the servants? Oh, buddy, you are you've got no idea. You're in for something. You should look right over your shoulder. Yeah, Yeah, he
2: says. You tried to stop me. You discouraged me when I needed every drop of encouragement I could get. You were afraid of the cosmic truth, you damned coward. But now I've got you. What swept up the servants? What made them scream so loud? Don't know, eh? You'll know soon enough. <laughs>
1: so he's kind of going a little, uh, oh, this is true mad
0: scientist Yeah, stuff. he's totally nuts and, uh, and just mean. Yeah, and he's
1: going to use his new discoveries to get his friend who he invited over. Right, to,
0: to kill me. him and out of revenge yeah. because he wasn't nice enough he to him? He didn't support him. He didn't support him. He yeah. wasn't
1: the wind beneath his wings. No, That's I guess. That's what he
0: needed. <laughs> you know, I would just think he shouldn't, you know, call him or hang out with him anymore. Yeah. You know, like, just. No, instead he's going to, well, these things have been hunting him, but he's kind of learned Yeah, don't
1: move and be quiet. Don't move and be quiet, but also, you know, don't really look at them. I mean, Crawford says he basically has learned how to not look at them. It's almost like a Medusa thing. You know, when Perseus hunts Medusa, he looks in the shield, he doesn't look right at her. Um, Or Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, don't look at the thing because it's... Oh, right, right. It's not that the things are going to necessarily devour you in any conventional way. It's that they are so insanely different than anything you've ever witnessed before. Mm Mm-hmm that you'll disintegrate. Or I
0: keep thinking of those, you know, those little floaty things in your eyes that you can't, you can't like, if you try to look directly at it, it moves out of the way. Uh, you know what I yeah, mean? they're, they're called floaters. The floaters, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> I think of those all the time because I have really bad ones in my right. Yeah,
0: I think it, they drive me crazy. It's yeah. just if the light hits it just right, you can kind of see them, but every time you try to look at them, you know?
1: Yeah, it's fluid in your eyes that over the time that you age, gradually hardens.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, so you, little specks of it are floating around in your eye and You can perceive them, but your brain gradually learns to block out those portions of your field of vision. But if you look at something white or a computer screen Mm -hmm. or or brightly lit, you'll see them suddenly. God, that must have driven some people
0: crazy before science. I guess.
1: They must have thought they were seeing this.
0: I'm sure
2: people had some crazy explanations for those things. Yeah. Uh, Well, anyway, so he says... Don't worry, they won't hurt you. They didn't hurt the servants. It was seeing that made the poor devil scream so my pets are not pretty, for they come out of places where aesthetic standards are very different. Disintegration is quite painless, I assure you, but I want you to see them. I almost saw them, but I knew how to stop. You are not curious? I always knew that you were no scientist. Trembling, eh? Trembling with anxiety to see the ultimate things I have discovered. Why don't you move then, tired? Oh, don't worry, my friend, for they are coming. Look, look, curse you, look. It's just over your left shoulder. Yeah, there it is, pal. Just look
0: over your shoulder and you're going to get a freaking eyeful. of oh, And man. it's going to eat you because that's what... Yeah. The best it's like a great ghost happen. story around a campfire, you know?
1: Where's my golden arm? You've got it! <laughs> <laughs> but then the incident just abruptly ends as Yeah, he stops.
0: Well, the narrator, yes, yeah. quits talking about it. He says, okay, the rest of the stuff you guys can check out in the newspapers because what happened... He pulls out his gun that were you know, that he had his hand on, pulls it and just blasts the machine. Right.
1: It's a little switcheroo there because you know, the cops find him and they find him with a revolver and they arrest him mm-hmm. because Crawford is dead in the chair across from right. him.
0: Right, but not dead from a bullet wound. No.
1: no. So when they discover that he shot the machine, which is really cool, he uh-huh. stopped it from happening. He's dead from that disease that stalks all of Lovecraft's, which <laughs> apoplexy.
0: <laughs> Good old apoplexy. Yeah, right
1: but I assume plans. it was because the machine stopped so abruptly, and Crawford had learned that second sight so well that having it so abruptly ripped away from. Yeah, it, I
0: think it, you know it was probably traumatic to his brain, and he wasn't able to you know slowly get out of it. Or you know that's probably what Lovecraft was trying to. Uh, yeah. You know, for, effectively done i thought it, I oh yeah absolutely cool. yeah
1: i, I did it was a great little uh, you know red herring you know did he shoot him oh no he shot the machine yeah it was, it was neat yeah and uh protagonist doesn't really know what to do with the information that he's gotten in the last half hour or whatever yeah. uh, he uh-huh. kind of half-ass tells the coroner you know what yeah. he saw and the coroner's got a great explanation oh you just
0: got hypnotized <laughs> <laughs> well i bet it's the last paragraph uh... yeah
2: i wish i could believe that doctor It would help my shaky nerves if I could dismiss what I now have to think of the air and the sky about and above me. I never feel alone or comfortable, and a hideous sense of pursuit sometimes comes chillingly on me when I am weary. What prevents me from believing the doctor is this one simple fact, that the police never found the bodies of those servants whom they say Crawford Tillinghast murdered.
0: And that is the end of the story. That's the end. Man, I freaking love this story, dude. There's not a lot of character development or anything it's like that. It's a great scene. But it's it's really good writing, really, uh, you know, like, I, you just really feel it. And it's really interesting. And, and he mm-hmm. explores all these different sights and sounds and feelings uh, that I feel like you can only really get from written word, you know? Yeah. Like, you're not going to get from a movie. You're not going to get it from a song.
1: Again, the thing that I find really great about this story is that it attacks something that is quite conventionally treated, usually, mm-hmm. which is that there are unseen things that are menacing in the world. Yeah. Usually those are treated as ghosts or demons. Case in point, I just saw a movie this weekend called Paranormal Activity. Uh, it's, a, it's a really low-budget little mm-hmm. movie that's that's making the rounds around the country. Really frightening movie. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a Blair Witch project, but they set up the camera to record incidents that are happening to this well, woman yeah, I've seen the trailer, who's yeah, being yeah. menaced by an unseen force in her right. in her house. And it is like a demon that's doing it, but I... I, uh, or a ghost or whatever which are things that I
0: don't believe in but it still scared me because I can share in that like everybody can that mm-hmm. terrible oh, feeling yeah. that there's something yeah something, something that's right beyond your senses and, right. and, and again if you can't sense it you can't do anything about it and it mm-hmm. makes you powerless and so. this is a great way into that same feeling mm-hmm. different approach it's not something ridiculous and
1: hard to get to. Like, somebody died, their soul is angry, and so it's wandering mm-hmm. around the house, and sometimes it manifests itself, and sometimes it doesn't. Saying that there are these other dimensions with creatures and things in them that exist and coexist with us, and they're right there all the time. Mm-hmm. We, we just can't
0: see them. We can't see them or interact with them. And, and, they, and they
1: don't necessarily like us, and if they could see us, they might mean us harm.
0: They could, and occasionally, sometimes the, those boundaries get a little thinner and stronger between dimensions. It's, it's yeah. really cool. And, I mean, this story is... Really where Lovecraft starts laying out his kind of cosmic view, you know, of mm-hmm. things, you know, like the universe is vast and frightening. And the more you learn about it, the creepier it's going to get. And, you know, it's him blending again, like from, you know, uh, Beyond the Wall of Sleep, he's yeah. blending technology and the supernatural together. And it's about a machine, you know, a scientific device that is doing these things. It's not about some prayer or a ghost or a, a ritual. It's, yeah.
1: And this machine to me was a lot more credible than the mach- the dream machine from right. Beyond the Wall of Sleep. <laughs> and credible in that he didn't just describe it at all. Yeah. It, much like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, they don't go into how he creates the no, monster. No, I believe it's
0: like a few sentences. Yeah, yeah.
1: And just like, because you don't need to know, that's actually not the important part. No. So here, the only thing he says is that there's no, you know, ordinary battery running it. Right. It's, right. it's a, not a chemical battery, which is cool. And it's got these lights. And, yeah. Uh, but that's really all
0: you need to know. Good enough. Well, this story was written in uh, 1920, but it was first published in the Fantasy Fan in 1934, so it's a long time before it got published. Yeah. Uh, S.T. Joshi wrote an essay uh, called The Sources from Beyond, and he traces the philosophical underpinnings of the story to Hugh Eliot's modern science materialism that oh. Lovecraft uh, often like, he read in 1919, I think. And he uh, mentioned it in his letters. like Modern
1: sciences and materialism? Yes.
0: The themes in that are, they talk about the fallibility of your senses, that uh, oh, there are okay. existence of colors that we can't see, that mm-hmm. we can't perceive, which is true. You know, we can't see ultraviolet or infrared. Sure. Uh, and um, also that matter consists mostly of empty space. You know, like if you look yeah. in an atom, you know, like the fact, that, you know, there's a lot of empty space between the, you know, the particles of an atom. Mm-hmm. So we're actually quite a bit of empty space. So those are some of the ideas that Lovecraft was thinking about at the time when he was writing the story and obviously <laughs> inspired him.
1: The depths of the ocean, the depths of the earth, the depths of the cosmos. And even our everyday ordinary atomic structure is now laced with monstrosities. <laughs> the guy I mean he looks into every possible setting and says, How could I squeeze a few monsters in there?
0: I, there's gotta be more more creeps in there. Yeah. Everything's really creepy and it's gonna get you, so look yeah. out. Even the air around us. I mean well, you know, I mean in nature, if you look at nature is a pretty brutal uh, thing. You know, yeah. there's like lots I mean, certain environments are are less brutal than others. Like if you wanna go down to the Amazon uh, you know, there's so many poisonous animals and creatures mm-hmm. that it's very easy to, to be killed and die.
1: Well, the entire world right now, truthfully, is under attack by a, an unseen monster, the swine flu. I mean, everybody's kind of panicking about it, but yeah, we the world is teeming with invisible life forms that we can't see or directly sure. confront yet do confound and sicken us constantly. Yeah, you know people didn't used to know about them. And because no. of the advances of science, now we know about them and we're, yeah. we can more adequately combat them. But exactly. they change and shift every year too. Yeah, <laughs> I, know.
0: I know. One thing that it seems, uh, you know, as, scientific, as science is progressing, we, people seem to be able to cope with it pretty well. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> like nobody's going nuts, you know, with new scientific discoveries yet at least. Right. But I and I think that's one of those things that it's fun to think about these horrible unknowable things and think that they would blow your mind if you try to figure them out but humans are pretty mentally elastic you know like we're able to really compensate and you know change our behavior and and what it is that we we need
1: yeah and it's those sudden shocks when somebody turns on a machine and you see all of it at once And and for the scientist there are the first person—I mean, the, the the first person to cross some new threshold of discovery—as Crawford is here, mm-hmm. it can lead to madness because you are taking for the human race the whole the sum of that knowledge. You're the you're the pinpoint. You're the one right. that gets uh-huh. it first, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and it might not make sense with uh, the world that you know. Uh-huh. So I, I could see how that might drive uh,
0: you know. It's it's definitely fun stuff, and, and and again, this is just in my opinion a really well written story. Like there's yeah. just the, the structure, the actual prose. It's all. Really cool, cool ideas. Uh, kudos, Mr. Lovecraft. I feel like we're finally getting into the the, the good stuff. Yeah, th- yeah, this is really the stuff I like. I just want to say uh, again, if you like the show, please go to iTunes, give us a review. We also have uh, forms at hppodcraft.com. You can. There seems to be more and more activity every day. People are talking about. Uh, interesting Lovecraft related things and yeah. about our podcast. So, yeah.
1: And uh, next week we will be doing A Picture in the House.
0: Picture in the House? Hmm. That's exciting. I it like pictures so... in houses.
1: It's a very creepy story and one of my personal favorites and I thought it would be good uh, as we approach Halloween to do oh, yeah. something about an old rambling house and a thunderstorm and uh, an old man with a book from Africa.
0: I'm I'm getting scared already. Just thinking about it. Well, Chad, uh, I want to say you are Chad Pfeiffer. Yeah, thanks for saying that. Phew!
1: <laughs> Identity confirmed. Uh, and you are Chris Lackey. Indeed. And I have had a great time, my friend, chatting with you about From
0: Beyond. Yeah, me too. Good times. Uh, this is the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. We're at
1: hppodcraft.com.
0: Thanks.
2: HPpodcraft.com. <laughs>